how can there be no data on the one thing you can't live without for more than two minutes? You can't you can't go home and breathe later if the air is dirty outside where you are. You can do that with water. Oh, your water is really dirty. Sorry, I'm going to go home and drink my water, even if I'm thirsty. You can do that. You can. If you need to go to the bathroom, you can hold it for an hour. You can't hold breathing for an hour. What are you going to do? Ask for a can of bisleri air? No. Hey everybody, what's good? Welcome back to the Next Move podcast. And if this is your first time on the show, we're a podcast that shares the strategies, stories, and tools behind people who are making an impact in their field. And today I have Akshay Joshi with me, who's the CEO of Ambi. We're basically making sure that the air quality index number that you see on your phone is accurate. And that is so damn important for so many reasons, which we're going to get into in this podcast. And Today, we're also going to be talking about if you live in a highly polluted area, what are the things that you can do to make sure that it doesn't impact you as much um, because it can really take a toll on your life. And also, we're going to be talking about if you're interested in getting into the environmental space, where are the opportunities? So if you're, you're a budding entrepreneur, you're going to want to wait till the end of this podcast because we're going to go dive deep into that. But before we do, Akshay, I'm so happy to have you on, man. How are you doing? Hey, Arman. It's good, man. I think we've been planning this for like, I don't know, since I had no beard and <laughs> since I was pre-pubescent. It's been like pre-lockdown. Do we start talking? Yeah, for sure, dude. I think it's been almost a year, man. <laughs> Shit. So most of this is on me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, finally, I'm, I'm super glad we finally got, got talking. For sure, dude. It's going to be worth the wait. Um, so I want to start with what I think will frame the conversation pretty well. Uh, why did you guys start Ambi? What was kind of the genesis behind it? Yeah, so it's pretty interesting, actually. Uh, my co-founder, Maddie, uh, he just sold a small company and he moved. So he's actually from Bangalore. He moved back because he had a, he'd gotten married. He had a small kid and he wanted to be closer to his parents so that they could hang out with the grandkid. And he moved uh, and his kids started waking up choking every morning and no one had any idea why. And he went to the doctors and they were like, it's fine. So someone said probably the air, you know, because your son is choking in the morning when he wakes up, it sort of blew in the face. So he Googled air quality near me and it said it was fine. And then he did a bit of research. Maddie's a complete nerd. He would like research anything. Like he's worse than I am. I'm pretty bad. He will research anything down to the bone and then some. So he went all the way to the roof. He, he, he looked, looked for the data set that said, you know, the air is fine where you are. And he realized it came from a bunch of government sensors. And the nearest sensor itself was like 15 kilometers away. So it's pretty useless because those sensors measure what's like 150 meters around them. So then he was like, obviously, this, is, this data is wrong. So he hacked together a small sensor. Uh, it showed that the air quality near his house was past 500 and was closer to 800, which is basically what you see in Delhi around Diwali. So he drove, he stuck this on the roof of his car, he drove around, he actually built a heat map. And he realized that there was a factory nearby that was polluting and it was doing this really early in the morning to avoid pollution control locks. So most pollution is monitored from like 9 a.m. 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So these guys would start polluting at 4 a.m. and they'd shut off their boilers by like 6. So by 9, it's back to almost normal levels. But people would wake up with like itchy throats and runny noses and scratching their eyes. Uh, if you're an adult, if you're 
in infant you have no defense against this you have like zero immunity so you basically choke and so he went to the doctors with this information they were like yeah we've seen this like across a bunch of children and we have no idea why and he said well this is your data is this why and they were like oh my god this is totally the reason uh, other parents started calling and saying can we borrow the device to confirm this uh, then they'd call him back and say you know thank you for saving my kid's life that's a pretty powerful statement right if you have if you call someone presumably you were like at least middle class you have saving resources that's sort our of stuff and you should call someone and say thank you for saving my kid's life uh, that really got him sort of thinking is this this should be available to everyone this this data should be available to everyone so his first instinct was to see if we could sell this device so we got together as a team we built a business canvas and we spoke to like 400 people we stood outside hospitals and like spoke to people and we said you know would you buy this device and 80% were like yes half of those were like here's my money now but then that doesn't scale you know it doesn't you sell 10000 devices what do you do after that there's no big hardware scaled up company there was pebble watch they died uh, fitbit yeah maybe apple great ecosystem but no one else so we we looked at this we actually studied consumer behavior we noticed that even among the people that wear fitbits uh, they buy it for what it is and half of them don't charge it after a week and just leave it off etc that's for a primary use case like a tracker that also does text messages you're going to have a tough time convincing someone to carry a little head body monitor around with them and charge it so we saw this behavior among people that bought it as well so we actually sold like a few hundred of those and then what got really interesting was the data the data started looking hugely like super interesting on multiple levels across bangalore we see variations that we didn't th- think were possible we'd see places that are super clean and we'd find out they were like gyms for example we found out that a part of whitefield had the same air quality as like switzerland does uh yeah so it's it was super interesting and this data got interesting enough that we started building models around it and this caught the attention of a couple of guys first uh it sort of grew on itself we got a couple of angel investors and said you know that he said this you get a dollar's worth out of this data will be the day you're a great company or that's your that's the first step to being what you want to be uh we got the attention of google and they were like this is awesome if we scale this up we'll buy this we buy this data already but it's not accurate so there's just no source and at the same time we did a bunch of research and we found out that air pollution itself is literally the biggest health and environment threat there is and those aren't my words that's that's literally what the who has declared like a few years ago most diseases you find like crazy correlations to increase in air pollution i mean i'm talking breast cancer alzheimers it was just unbelievable when we built this we built a little compendium we built uh, a sort of we call it bible it's it's data research peer reviewed or documented healthcare data on uh, relationships between air pollution and multiple forms of disease and the numbers are staggering it makes you want to stop breathing to stay safe but it's insane and then we realized this needs to be out there 
whether it's a business or whether it's just public impact and initiative, it needs to be in everyone's hands. So we've been on that journey for like just about three years now. Dude, that's it's so crazy to me. And you know, honestly, we were talking before we got on about how I moved from the US to here. And that was one of my big things. I came in, I landed, I was like, shit, there's pollution. And then when I went to Delhi, man, dude, the, the second you get off the plane, you have a sore throat. It's it's ridiculous. So I, I want to know, you know, since India, we have some crazy amount of cities in the top 10 most polluted on the planet. Um, what, what are we doing that is causing so much pollution? Is it, is it, I know I have my theories, but what is actually, what does the data show? So this is the top question, you know, um, we have, we have things that don't work for us. If you look at Delhi, Delhi is a victim of many things, including circumstance, uh, geography. Delhi sits in a sort of bowl. There's no way the wind can escape except towards the south. And in winter, I think there's an inversion layer over Delhi, if I'm not mistaken. What basically happens is that uh, pollution just collects and sits in Delhi, even stuff that doesn't come from Delhi. So all the crop burning does not occur in Delhi, right? It occurs in Punjab and Haryana and stuff like that. I think some of it goes as far as Pakistan. And just come, Delhi is just sitting there in the path of whatever wind comes in. And then those poor guys just sort of pay the price. They've done whatever they could. They've turned all their uh, public transport CNG. They have a beautiful metro system. They shut down the one coal plant that is in the middle of, was in the middle of Delhi. It's now shut. But Delhi also has a huge number of vehicles. I mean, petrol and diesel is still there. At one time in the 90s, Delhi had more vehicles than the other three metros put together. So this was the 90s, I remember. This was one of those factoids that you'd see in like newspapers. I think Indian cities specifically suffer from uh, a lack of urban planning. So you'll see uh, a neighborhood like Indranagar and Bangalore 15 years ago. It's completely residential, uh, tree-lined, shady avenues, almost no traffic. Uh, now it's one of the biggest retail neighborhoods in the country. Uh, I mean, land prices are insane. So uh, weekends and evening is just completely jammed with uh, cars. And that's just the main streets where people still live inside. And those people are now paying the price. Um, similarly, someone may start a random little factory near where you live or what were once industrial areas, which were designated industrial areas, now have residences starting up around them. So a lot of this is uh, rampant development without a, a lot of planning. But hey, you can't fault people, right? Everyone wants a better life. Uh, you can't hold a lot of people's heads and say, uh, you know, there's an environmental loss, you have to follow it, and we can't let you live in a bigger house as a result. And they're going to say, that's great. Why don't you say this to the Americans? Because they've been doing this for like 50 years. And each of them has five cars. So it's a tough balance. What's happened now is everyone's a lot more aware of the environment and of pollution. So people are looking at India and China specifically. But there was a time in 25, 30 years ago when uh, London, LA, New York were the most polluted cities on the planet. And India was like a breath of fresh air in comparison. Dude, like my, my thing with that is like China is doing, I feel a really good job of, you know, controlling some of the air pollution. But 
in India, at least COVID has helped out a little bit in terms of that. That's one good thing, less traffic on the road, but it's, it's literally killing people. So what are the things like we, we need to be doing like in terms of a macro level to kind of, you know, prevent it? Is it getting more vehicles off the road? Is it like, what is it? Oh yeah, totally. So uh, my previous point was about how India wasn't always this bad and it's sort of cyclical. The next most polluted city in the world probably going to be over the next 25 years could be, uh, for example, Abuja or uh, Lagos in Nigeria. Right, because as those economies grow, uh, that's likely to be a big problem. Yeah, so we don't do enough, and we don't do enough because we have uh, decisions across multiple layers that get lost in translation. In China, if the government says do something, it gets done on every level. So we work with governments across the world. Uh, I'm not going to name the countries of the governments, but we work with literally across the world, both sides of India. Uh, the response times there are much faster than with the Indian government. Because in India, what will happen is, and I'm, you won't normally find anyone saying politicians are doing enough, but I'm going to go and on record and say politicians have actually done quite a bit. Uh, they made pollution an election issue, both in Delhi and nationally. If you look at the last general elections in India, pollution and the environment were on the uh, manifesto of both major parties. There, there actually is a Ministry of Climate Change right now in India. The central government has granted over half a billion dollars directly to cities that are affected by pollution. So the politicians are doing literally all they can. I mean, well, uh, air pollution is one of 55 things that we worry about. We're still not a rich or a developed country, so this is just one thing, right? The guys that are actually in charge of air pollution uh, have been doing a bad job for I don't know how many years. Again, there's great guys individually that we interact with, but the whole system is not working like it should. So we build uh, we build this data that is now down a square kilometer. I'm sure you've seen it. It's it's on globalevolution.com, and uh, we tried this, for example, with the government, and they were super impressed, and they said, "Great, let's uh, let's get something started." And then, so these were the top guys, and they were like, this is awesome, we need this, and it's made in India, which is better. And uh, they sort of told the mid-level guys to deal with us and speed things through, and then we just never heard back. We need a lot more mid-level bureaucratic will than we currently have. Dude, it's, yeah, I agree with that. And it's good to know that we're, we're allocating so much to this problem, because it's literally going to be another health crisis soon, like uh, after COVID, because it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, I feel really bad when I see people riding their bicycles through traffic, right? They, they, they're working out, they're exercising, which is great. But, you, dude, you, I feel like you're doing more d- damage to your body because you're in the middle of all of the most toxic gases on the planet. So uh, it's sad to see. So what do you think that people can do, right? If they're living in a polluted area, what kind of things you, can you do to not be impacted as badly? Well, now everyone wears masks. So that's a good start. Mm-hmm. Uh, wear an N95 mask all the time. Whenever you're out in somewhere like Delhi in winter, N95 mask all the time. Don't take it off. Uh, exactly like you would if you had COVID. Uh, get an air purifier if you can afford it wherever you are, home office, get as many as you can for every room. 
uh, literally nothing else you can do as an individual. You can raise your voice, you can make your, those are preventive or curative measures. You can, in the long term, protect policy, raise your voice. If you have any influence with your neighborhood, start something up there. You know, we have a lot of, we work with a lot of resident welfare associations and a lot of people are very concerned. It's like you said, it's a public health crisis. It's going to get, it's going to get so bad. So we've been saying this since March. Uh, it's evolution is just going to interact with COVID in India in December in such a bad way. We have some, so I was flying out of uh, Mumbai last week and Mumbai was actually worse off than Delhi a few days uh, in November. And you, when you, when you take off, you just see this absolute layer. It's not even a gradient. It's just a start, stop, start where until here it's brown and then here onwards it's blue. It's like a chart. It's like a, I'll send you that photograph so you can just flash it out. It's insane. And this is what we're doing. And people are just like, oh, I don't know, but it's what can we do? It's ridiculous. On some level, it's a bit like we're literally dying right now. And we're just like, okay, maybe next year we'll do something or dying right now. I heard that. It takes in Delhi, if you live in Delhi, just by a factor of living there, it takes away nine years of your life. Yeah, that's a, that's a conservative estimate. I've seen 17, but nine is the most conservative I've seen. I think all over India, it's five or six years. And then people are like, so I, I gave a talk in Delhi and this was at a UN summit. And someone was like, oh, but you know, how do you know nine years anyway or old? So I was like, how old are you? He's like, I'm 35 now. So I said, I'm guessing, are you married? Are you going to get married at some point? So I said, yeah. Are you going to have kids? He's like, yeah. I said, you'll assume they have kids, right? He's like, yeah. So I'm like, you'll be a grandparent someday. He's like, yeah. I'm like, but you won't see them. So he's like, what? And I said, yeah, because that's 10 years of your life. So instead of 70, if you die at 60, you most likely won't see your grandchildren. And that really hit people hard because... When you talk about an abstract thing like I live 10 years less, no one understands that. You have to put that in ways that they understand. So one of those things that people do after the 60s, look forward to like seeing grandchildren or traveling the world or something like that. And when you take that very tangible benefit or tangible outcome away from them, even imaginarily, that's when they start thinking. So then he's like, oh, Jesus, is that what it means? So I was like, yes. Not for you, for everyone in this room. Dude, that, that's, that's really true. And I just, you know, in Delhi as well, I don't know, this is a random thought that came in my head. A lot of people smoke too. So the smoking on top of being in that, on top of like, you know, a lot of unhealthy things that we do in general as Indians, like that that's insane. And 10 years is more than 10% of most people's lives. So that's just a scary number. Um, I, I want to get into a few different areas that you see as potential opportunities. You know, your MB is doing so much. They're providing data. They're putting sensors all over the country and, and outside of India as well. But where do you see that we need to be doing more? Do you see any like potential for new businesses to come in and, and disrupt? Oh, huge. It's insane. So, so we, we started with the evolution, but we quickly realized there's so much of the environment. Our long-term aim was to always be a completely environmental data company. So we're like, in uh, in 10 years, 
if you if you're like a high school project researcher or you're a cabinet minister somewhere and you need data on any facet of the environment whether it's water levels or like forest fires or dust storms anywhere on the globe we have it so we'll be like like if you want to buy a pair of shoes you're literally like i'm going to go to nike or adidas or bata and buy a pair of shoes we're going to be like that right so there's just so many avenues that are to do with climate and the environment right now that are opening up and i mean just look at you for example you start a podcast you have people that uh make an impact in various spheres of life so that's something that you started like literally on your own uh i've seen people i've seen high school students start movements i've seen uh people who retired and thought that their life would be around the golf start companies uh that do stuff like this it's there are a lot of very smart people that are waking up to both the crisis and like every crisis opportunities that exist do you do you think there's any particular area like you know in in water i i know i i've interviewed smitha single who is the founder of absolute water and they they take uh toilet water and and i mean from from literally from your shit and they are able to turn it into drinking water which is incredible um do you see anything like out there for budding entrepreneurs that want to get into this space that you feel are is is a little bit untapped uh i got i can't pick a specific opportunity and that's not mm-hmm. because there aren't any just there are so many so like you said right. uh the person that does this right i mean this is not the the idea is not new they've been doing it since the apollo missions uh to space but to be able to scale it up commercialize it and make it something that nasa doesn't pay a million dollars for that's a game changer which is what this uh this team seems to be doing i've seen people that uh for example there's a great company that builds a drinking water as a subscription uh so you don't have to worry about really bad water quality in your house there's a bunch of companies that use satellite data to understand how crops grow better a lot of that is environmental data we build uh, models that allow us to work with governments and predict forest fires better and that saves millions of dollars because you can't stop a forest fire all you can do is figure out where it's coming from faster so that you can cut it down faster and in those countries this information is worth millions because people lose houses people die uh, if you look at some of these countries like 100 people die like a percentage of their population so it's a massive problem everywhere the so my my sort of thesis for startups in the environment is that 10 years 15 years ago delivering stuff buying stuff on the internet was a massive new frontier so you had people like amazon who just ipo 20 20 years ago now uh, 97 i think the ipo uh, you had guys like india mart coming in the early uh, in 2000s you had flipkart start in the late 2000s and it was the wild wild west e-commerce was the new thing and then 5 years ago that was fintech so you had all these guys come in and improve the way you dealt with money whether you paid your friends better when you split the bill at a restaurant whether you paid your rent better online whether you were able to access credit or debt faster i mean bunch of stuff like that right 
So it came to a point now where in India you don't need to get out of your house with a wallet. All you need is a cell phone. Because nine stores out of ten will take some form of payments, whether it's a mobile wallet, whether it's UPI. So these things, and they've all built massive, great companies on the back of this, right? We're at that start right now with the environment. Because when you look at what the environment means to people, everything else pales, right? There is nothing more important. I mean, you can live without financial technology and you can live without stuff being delivered to you faster. But you can't live without air and water. You can't live without the food you grow. And this, that's the start of crux. So this wave will take slightly longer because it's literally just so all-encompassing and so complex. But it's going to be bigger than anything else. So if you look right now at what's happening with larger funds, I'm not talking VC funds, I'm talking the big guys like private equity that, you know, each of their funds is $20 billion. A lot of them are committing to only ESG spec investments, which means they will only invest in companies that meet certain norms as far as the environment goes. And the total commitment to ESG funds right now is $10 trillion. $10 trillion is twice what the Indian economy wants to be in 2025, right? And this just happened like a month or two ago. So if you look at, these are the biggest movers and shakers on the planet. This is the most amount of money that exists on the planet. And all of it wants to hold everyone accountable for how they treat the environment. That's a massive step. And anyone that is now in this business, not today maybe, but over the next five, 10 years, and this is a long-term play because this is not going to go away. It's not going to plateau. So once you've reached a certain level of financial inclusion, you can't get any better. You can't get any better than one hour deliveries or next day deliveries or same day deliveries. But the environment is continuously changing. The baseline is continuously changing. And we have to continuously keep getting better because otherwise we will literally die. So unless we stick to our Paris goals, unless we stick to our decarbonization goals, unless we stick to our uh, electric vehicle goals, unless we stick to our particulate matter reduction goals, we're going to die. And those goals are going to get more and more difficult. The numbers are going to go down. So if you look at BS4 to BS6 with the Indian cars, uh, most emissions went down by 90%, which was so difficult for auto manufacturers that a bunch of them just liquidated their old stock at like throwaway prices. So anyone that is in this business over the next 15 years and does executes well and obviously does the right stuff is going to be mammoth. And obviously that's our hope. But I think that's a great opportunity for a bunch of smart people. And this has literally a double bottom line because you make a lot of money if you do well, but you also are saving the planet. That, that was going to be my, my next question, actually, because I think a lot of people will look at businesses in this space and say, oh, they're doing great things, they're doing amazing, and they'll kind of equate it to a non-for-profit, right? But can, can you actually make good money and, let's say, become rich? Do, like being in the environmental space, is, is it a good place for potential profits? I don't know because I'm not rich. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm asking, like, do you, yeah. do you think, like, you know, moving forward to the future, because it's so necessary, everyone's going to have to subscribe to this, that it's possible? Look, uh, 
I think a lot of people have said this, and it's very correct. If you do something to become rich, you're not going to become rich, and you won't do what you do well. Uh, we built this company because Maddie obviously felt the need. Literally, this kid was dying, uh, and he realized he could help first him and then a bunch of other people. And I saw the opportunity to do something super interesting. Three years ago, when we started this company, people would laugh at us, laugh at us, and say pollution is not that bad an issue. And this was in Delhi, so. Uh, I was like, no, this is definitely an issue. It's going to get far worse, and I think there's the potential to do something. I love doing interesting things. Like, I've done a bunch of really interesting things over the last 15 years. I love doing random, challenging things, and nothing makes me happier than doing something that people say is not going to pay off, uh, or you're wasting your time with, or it can't be done. These are like my go-to fire me up phrases. So uh, for us, it was just a super interesting problem, and the fact that on some level, literally, we could find no data on something, and you know, instinctively, we thought, how can there be no data on the one thing you can't live without for more than two minutes? You can't, you can't go home and breathe later if the air is dirty outside where you are. You can do that with water. Oh, your water is really dirty. Sorry, I'm going to go home and drink my water, even if I'm thirsty. You can do that. You can, if you need to go to the bathroom, you can hold it for an hour. You can't hold breathing for an hour. What are you going to do? Ask for a kind of bisleri air? No. So it was insane when we looked at the initial problem. There was just zero data on this, and all this research is showing. Oh, you know, if you if you breathe like ten percent worse air quality, your risk risk of lung cancer goes up by thirty percent. Like if your particulate matter count goes up by ten from ten to twenty, which it does, like. On a daily basis in most of India, your risk of lung cancer goes over 27 percent. It's insane. So we thought uh, this was just such a huge problem, and I mean, there must, someone has to solve it. Why not us? We 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 lived the problem initially. We thought we had the chops technically to get there. So we started, and we've done okay. Um, the money thing, I don't know. I can't comment on. There's no there there are no climate billionaires. But a lot of people tell me that a lot of wise people, some of whom are actually billionaires, say that if you have a large enough problem and you solve it well enough, then uh, you can scale your company well. And scaling a company typically means that uh, you're quite profitable. So everyone gets paid in the end, investors, uh, teammates, founders, etc. So I think you will see a lot of people have gone out there and said the next wave of billionaires will be climate billionaires. Uh, being a billionaire is a very abstract notion, uh, so I can't comment. But I think there's certainly a large opportunity, and a lot of stuff will tie into climate anyway. Yeah, for sure. I just in in my head, it's it's it feels kind of a certainty. I know I know it's definitely not about the money and the people who are doing big things like even Elon Musk, right? He's clearly not in it for the money. So I think if you go into it, like you said, with that um, thought process, you may not be as fruitful, but we have to, we have to change and, and these companies have to succeed. So hopefully everything, the capital markets will move toward that. Um, I, I want to kind of flip switch into something else. We talked about a little bit before we got on which is productivity. Um, you, so you work a lot of hours. I'm sure your coworkers and your co-founders work a lot of hours. Uh, 
what are some things that you do to kind of enhance your your productivity do you like like for example if you're working till three in the morning how do you keep yourself focused and on task and not wanting to just log off or go go on to facebook or whatever it is well i don't use facebook anymore that's a start really you're completely off no no so i still have an account primarily because uh my company account is still linked to my personal account but I'm, I'm just never on Facebook. Like I deleted the app off my phone as well. Uh, I do use Instagram a bit though, but Instagram, is, a lot of it is pure art. So that, that's my excuse. Art and memes, which is literally all people live for, art and memes. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I've always been obsessive about stuff. I'm, I'm pretty lazy normally, like I'm not a morning person. I can easily sleep 24 hours over the weekend. But when I'm doing something I like, and this can be anything, I can be reading something I like, I can be eating something as well. I, I have no self-control on that. So I will just keep doing it until it's done or until I drop dead. And normally it gets done before I drop like out of exhaustion. So I've worked like in previous roles, I've worked through the weekend 72 hours at a stretch. And I just, it, it doesn't seem like work to me. I mean, I'm also, I will take 10 minutes off to do something random, like, I don't know, like read a joke or like read a short story or something, something like that. Look at memes on Instagram. But honestly, if you love what you do, it makes it, I think, a lot easier. Uh, that's also what we looked for. We look for two things when we hire. Um, talent is overrated. Everyone says talent is overrated. It really is. Uh, because everyone comes with a basic level of talent and education. Otherwise, you don't make it past the door. We look for the ability to like, literally put in the hours. Also, you have to like what we do. So you have to like, uh, in some cases, data science and the impact you can have using data science in the environment. And then the ability to commit yourself to that. If you already like it, you shouldn't have too much of a problem. And one of the things we found uh, very randomly when hiring was, this goes really well with your background, by the way, is uh, if you play a sport, you understand this. Most people that play sports understand a bunch of things. One is hard work, because you don't get good without practice. The second is odd hours. So most practice if you're in school occurs at 5 a.m. or earlier. So if you have a report to practice on a team, you're there before class starts. So it's literally the crack of dawn, you're on the field. And you don't whine about it because this is your life. And you know how to win. You also know how to play in a team. So you have focus, you have uh, hustle, you have determination, you have teamwork, which is essential if you're in a startup because the arts are crazy sometimes. Like I know right now my tech team is working through the weekend. I'm, I'm fascinated by the analogy to sports because I, I completely agree. I think for, for me, sports has been so much more... Um, so much better for my learning and for so much better for everything that I do in my life over anything I've learned in school, you know? And, but, but my, my only question when it comes to the hours point back on that is, do you, do you not burn out? Like, do you not get to a point where you're just like, shit, I need to like take a week off or something like that. And if you have burned out, could you kind of walk through that experience and how you got over it? Yeah. Um, I've been lucky we haven't, I haven't burnt out because I realized that at some point you need a break. So it is absolutely essential to have that level of self-awareness. 
where you know. So if you've been working a few years, then you understand at some point where your productivity is dropping. Even if it's like a 24-hour work bender, you know that by the time you get to 20 hours, it starts slowing down. And that's when you need to stop because you're just, you're wasting time. You're taking one step forward, two steps backwards. Um, with the longer term, over weeks and months, it's very important to set times for yourself alone away from work. Even if you love what you're doing, you, I mean, I, you can love eating ice cream. That doesn't mean you eat it 24 seven all the time because you'll die. You'll hit ice cream and then you'll die. So we, I'm specifically pretty cognizant of this. We've tried to make it uh, not mandatory because then no one will pay attention, but we've tried to educate people in our team about this as well. Uh, my co-founders, who probably work harder than I do, um, also have started understanding the need to take time off. Um, so Maddie goes for long flights in the weekend and uh, he runs in the morning. Jerry takes some time off as well. But it's, it's super necessary because we're not machines. And no one can, no, absolutely no one can do without a break, without like a decompression, without taking the cognitive load off, because it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and I find that when I take like weekends completely off and I, I really do relax, I feel everything, um, is, I'm just so much more ready for the week ahead. My decision-making is better. I have more energy. So yeah, for, for me, that works best. And um, I, w- I want to transition into a few quick fire questions before we close up. I want to ask you, what keeps you up at night? What, what problems, what things that you still want to do keeps you up at night? Uh, I am a paranoid cynic by nature, so a lot of stuff keeps you up at night. But uh, so there's two ways I compensate. One is by working till I drop, so I fall asleep fast. Uh, but actually, we the big thing is how much more can we do to impact stuff? Are we doing enough? And that's honestly, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people say that. And I never thought I'd get to a point where I would say, are we doing enough? But literally, because the environment is so big, the problem is so big, we're just a small company. It keeps me awake at night. The, the scale of the problem keeps me awake at night. And um, you, you said you're not a morning person. So I want to ask, do you have any like morning routines or, or habits that you have to do in the first part of your day to make you feel energetic or make you feel like you will have a sex successful day ahead. But I said like four alarms to wake up. <laughs> so that should tell you, uh, no, I don't have a specific routine. Uh, no, I really don't. I just, I just go with the flow. I'm not one of those people that needs their coffee in the morning. Otherwise they're going to have a crap day. I don't, I don't even need coffee actually. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I really don't actually. Okay. I, I'm, I'm like the opposite. I, I'm, I need my coffee and I need to have like a complete routine. Uh, and I also want to ask, cause this is a question that I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I know you're not working from home right now, but when you do work from home and you are taking calls or whatever like that, do you sit in your boxers or do you actually like dress up for the call? No, so I don't need to dress up, right? If you live in, if you work in a startup, if you dress up, people will not take you seriously. <laughs> you're really invested or something. I made that mistake once. I went to a meeting in a jacket 
and someone actually thought I was one of the VCs. So never again. Uh, no, dude, uh, we, we, we're very like, as long as everything is okay on screen and you're not embarrassing yourself or anyone else, I think it's all good. Yeah. So, so the reason I asked that is that I realized during lockdown that I was like, shit, I haven't worn pants in six months, you know? <laughs> so that, that, I don't know. It, it felt weird when I started going back to the office and wearing, you know, full proper office clothes. It actually, it felt kind of good. Uh, but I think that is an amazing place to wrap up, dude. I'm so happy that after all this time, we finally got this done. I am to Arman. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a long time coming, and I'm really glad we could finally catch up. Definitely, and thank you to everybody who listened to this podcast. If you have any questions for Akshay, make sure to leave them in the comment section below, and I'll send them over to him. And yeah, thank you so much for listening and subscribe if you would like to, and see you guys in the next one.